following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Herfman. Uh, His Highness the Jackal. The Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of Virginia. I think Jackal's a Latino. I'm not sure, but he'll give it to you again. The Jackal. All right, everybody, welcome to Inside the Jackal's Head, live right here on PSN Radio, SoFlow Radio, and uh, welcome everybody who's having a uh, a weird evening tonight uh, listening to the content on PSN Radio. Uh, it's been one of those nights where survival of the fittest has been the featured topic, and uh, everybody's talking about survival, 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 from Kate to Kaiser, and you would think that would be the topic tonight because it's been kind of a somber, horrible evening here in Florida. Uh, we had a, bu- a building collapse, actually, uh, a couple hours from where I'm at right now. And uh, my deepest condolences to the families uh, that lost uh, loved ones in this thing. I mean, uh, this is still an ongoing thing, and uh, it's tragic what's uh, happening uh, shades of 9-11, some people are saying, and uh, my goodness, what a way to spend uh, an evening, folks. But it is Thursday, June 24th, and we are live, alive, and uh, for everybody who's listening in, thank you for uh, joining me tonight. I'm going to have uh, Odin uh, joining me in a little bit, and uh, my guest tonight which this is kind of uh, impromptu because I really didn't know uh, what I was going to do tonight. And then uh, he approached me about something that had uh, uh, been a very big deal within the world of ufology, and uh, some of you might know this story or not. The Kenneth Arnold UFO sighting near uh, Mount Rainier. Now, for those of you who are like, huh? What what is that? Where's Mount Rainier? Because you guys don't know your... Geology, you know, right? Uh, Well, Kenneth Arnold is uh, accredited with giving the birth to the term flying saucers. He was the uh, first person, really, that saw, reported a flying saucer, and this is pre-Roswell. So this is a very important case in the world of ufology. So who better to be on the show with me tonight, then the man himself, Robert Morningstar. And he's going to be joining me here on uh, Skype in a couple of uh, minutes, hopefully. And uh, I think Odin wants to join also tonight uh, from uh, Global Enlightenment Radio Network. He, uh, As soon as he heard Robert was going to be on, he was like, I have to be on with you, Jackal. So let's see if we can make that happen. Uh, Odin, are you there? Yes, I'm right here. Oh, my goodness. It sounds like you're actually coming live from Ashgard, the way you came in there. (laughs) (laughs) Now it sounds clear. A little little bit, yeah. You had the uh, fan going off on there. How you been, brother? How you doing? I'm tired. I'm ready to wake up. And, man, I'm telling you, I've been busy. Oh, guess what? I just got... Tomorrow. Oh, tell tell us before we get our interview on for tonight. Dr. Robert Malone. 
Dr. Robert Malone. Oh, cool. Tell the audience who he is real quick. He is the, it's going to be on Black and White. We're doing a pre-interview tomorrow, and he will be talking about um, his invention, the mRNA. Uh-oh. The dreaded mRNA? Yeah, baby. Yeah. Uh-oh. Don't get us the platform from planet Earth. You got to be careful. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. I think I think you done muted yourself again. Yeah. That's a, he's been having a, some kind of a, like Wi-Fi Skype issue. I don't know what's going on with uh, his thing here. But uh, let's get our uh, main uh, guest tonight on here in a sec. Uh, Robert Morningstar is going to be on with me, and uh, let's get him on here. Robert Morningstar, can you hear us? The great. Okay, hold on. Let's uh, shut down all video. All right, uh, shut down the video there. Uh, there you go. All right, we have you live and clear. Now, the uh, the reason why we're doing the show tonight is uh, because this is the 74th anniversary of the birth of the Age of the Flying Saucers. And yes, uh, this has to do with, you know, for those who are not in uh, awareness of, uh, you know, what we're talking about, the actual term Flying Saucers was coined by Kenneth Arnold pre-Roswell. And not that, you know, not that long before, right? Tell us uh, about this era. Yeah, he actually just said saucers. He said that what he saw flying between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams, uh, they skipped along as if you skipped a, a saucer on the water. You know, if you throw right. rocks, rocks, they skipped. So he said they skipped along like saucers, and the press added flying saucers, and the name just clicked, and we're still, we're still using it. They are, but, they aren't all saucer shaped nowadays. As, well, uh, what he yeah, what he described wasn't even like that saucer shaped, correct? It was more like a boomerang. Right, it did look like uh, a boomerang is a good description, or a crescent moon shape. Yes. Right. Yeah. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The idea took hold. But you know what's interesting is that in the aftermath, a lot of real circular flying saucers, flying discs. Were, uh, were around and actually the first crash of a UFO or a flying saucer in, in, a, in the United States um, officially was uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri in 1941 1940-41 there were two crashes, there was Cape Girardeau and then the Los Angeles, the Battle of Los Angeles the artillery did bring down the triangular UFO that was flying over Los Angeles and came down by Catalina Island. It was recovered by the U.S. Navy, and that's when reverse engineering really started. But officially, the age of flying saucers began tonight after Kenneth Arnold saw nine UFOs, as we call them today, right. skipping along between Mount Rainier and Mount uh, Adams. And I had the privilege of seeing that uh, that uh, eyesight, that scope myself. I flew, I rented a plane in Seattle in 1991 when I went to visit a friend for his wedding. So I rented a plane and I flew the course that uh, Kenneth Arnold had flown at the altitude he had flown. And I got to see it with my own eyeballs. And it, it was a spectacular sight. And uh, mm. as he had on that day, he had 
absolutely beautiful visibility and the weather was clear now they make a lot of stories up the one thing that people don't know is that Kenneth Arnold made two flights he, his first flight was where he just by chance that was today June 24th right by chance he, he encountered a squadron of nine UFOs nine skipping flying saucers and he timed their passage between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams and he knew the distance doing a speed time distance computation he calculated they were traveling at 1500 miles an hour which is fast uh, for continuous flight even now but he was so intrigued that two days later he got a civil air patrol airplane he got a 16 millimeter camera from a uh, newspaper I mm. think it was an Idaho newspaper called the Statesman and he went up stalking them and he actually got to see one. He got one flying saucer at a long distance uh, disappearing into a, a bank, a cloud bank. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a very little known story. I, you know, yeah, Kenneth I know that Arnold. story. Yeah, I, I, I thought yeah, I knew everything about Kenneth Arnold. <laughs> Kenneth Arnold was an interesting guy. They always depict him as a uh, local businessman, which yeah. he was. But he was also uh, a pilot. World mm -hmm. War II. He was also a member of the Civil Air Patrol. He yep. was also connected with, with the government. And he had something to do later on. Let's see. July, uh, July 29th, 30th, and August 1st is another big event or watershed event in uh, flying saucer history, which is involving the crash of a um, B-25 bomber, U.S. Army Air Force bomber, piloted by a Captain Davidson, crashed mm -hmm. on August 1st into the mountains in Washington. And it was because he had gone out there to investigate the Maury Island incident, which had actually happened on June, uh, I believe June 21st. The UFO dropped some slag, molten metal, on a boat that killed a dog, hurt the uh, boat owner's son, I think it broke his arm, and uh, caused a lot of havoc. And there's a very interesting fellow involved in that incident named uh, Fred Christman, who had been a member of OSS during World War II. A very, very long saga with a lot of uh, interesting uh, sidelights, including... Chrisman being involved in OSS in Burma in World War II and coming upon a nest of aliens in Burma. We can talk about that later. But first mm -hmm. of all, let's uh, pay tribute to Kenneth Arnold. Yeah, no kidding. patriotic American who came out yeah. and told the truth and uh, got the whole thing started exposing secret activities. And these UFOs, I mean, that, the Roswell crash was the big deal. Right. But uh, Kenneth Arnold's report was the first thing that put people's attention on something that a lot of people had been seeing. And it also involves UFOs since the very beginning monitoring our atomic energy programs. UFOs were appearing over Oak Ridge where the, um, the atomic bomb was being built since right. 1945. So um, that's basically the background, and we can go with it any way we want. Well, let me ask you, Robert, where do you think we would be in ufology right now if the Kenneth Arnold sighting never happened? 
Well, I think that the Roswell thing would have happened, or somebody else, you know, with... See, he, he had accreditation. Kenneth Arnold was a serious man. Other people had reported UFOs. Right. Government. And, they, you know, it, people had been seeing it. As I said, in 1940 or 41, Cape Girardeau, a UFO crashed and an alien body was recovered. And the townspeople raced to the crash scene thinking it was an ordinary crash. And they arrived and they, they pulled out the pilot. And they said, they said, he looked kind of oriental. But these were really God-fearing uh, town folk, uh, heartland people. Right, right. And the first thing they did, uh, among the first things they did, is they called the minister to come and administer the last rites to this dying pilot. Regardless of his race, he was an alien. Right. He was human. And um, they called... Reverend Hoffman to come in and administer the last rites. He raced out there. He got there. All of this was happening before the army or the military got there. This was the townspeople, you know, the townspeople, right. the sheriff, the fire department. So Reverend Hoffman got there. A reporter got there, and another townsman, towns, uh, yeah, townsman, with a box camera arrived, and two pictures were taken of two men, they look like Freemasons, and they're in white shirts, they're wearing fedora hats, and they're holding the body of the alien pilot. Mm. And two pictures were taken simultaneously. And these two pictures, I believe, are absolutely authentic, because I know how they were, were shot. One picture is a clear photo, full-frame photo, of the alien body being held by these two gentlemen. The second photo is the same as the first, except the silhouette of a man with a hat is in the lower ground, lower foreground. So what happened is, the photographer from the newspaper got there with a camera that had a flash. And the townsman had a box camera that didn't have a flash. But he was a smart cookie, as he used to say in those days. So what he did is he left his the aperture open on his box camera, stood behind the reporter, crouched down behind him, got the same, uh, basically the same frame. When the reporter shot his photograph and the flash went off, the townsman captured the picture, except that the reporter's silhouette was in the way and blacks mm. out the bottom of the picture. So right. these two pictures are the most, are two authentic photographs. Who could have conceived, because uh, you know, everybody was always saying, oh, that's a hoax, that's a fake. Today they would say it's Photoshop. Right. Uh, this is unique. And I'm looking and I, I mean, uh, how, how long, question, uh, how, long, how long have we, uh, these pictures been known by the public? Because that's another thing. If it predates Photoshop, then you can't say it's a Photoshop creation. No, 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 no. These are black and white, uh, you know, black and white uh, square photos. Right, but how, but how long have we known of them? I learned like, about them 20 years ago. That's when people started to come out. When I was um, when I was starting to write for uh, UFO Digest, you know, I was a secret right. UFO investigator for about uh, let me see, 1963 to 19- Oh, I would say about 35 years, 30 years. I was a secret UFO investigator, and then in 2003 and four, I came out in public uh, writing and editing for UFO Digest. 
because I was outraged that so many children were being uh, kidnapped, abducted mm. by aliens and manipulated. And there was a story written in British Columbia. Uh, there's a website called ufobc.ca. Yeah, I've heard of that website. Yeah. It's a great website. And yeah, it is. Yeah. I read an article there by a little girl, actually. It's called The Story of Francis. And Francis was abducted by great aliens, but she wasn't abducted alone. She was abducted with her parents. And mm. while they could put their her parents to sleep to operate on them, she stood awake. She was protecting her parents. So she had a really interesting conversation with the female alien that was running the operation. And one of the strangest, <clears throat> strangest things in this, she was seven or eight years old. She wrote this story in her grammar school composition book in print, hand printed, and drawings of what she saw. But she, um, she, she was a very little assertive little girl. And she saw bodies on tables and aliens doing something, connecting their heads to each other with headbands and, and uh, electrodes and wiring. And wow. she said, what are, you, what are you doing to those people? And the alien, whom she says was taller than the others and was female, said, I'm switching their brains. And stop asking me questions or I'm going to do the same thing to you. And then the little girl <laughs> said, why, why are you here? She said, why are you here? And the alien said, we're coming to take over your world, and I'm in charge of taking over North America. And this was in Canada. Oh, wow. So that that article just outraged me, that children could be so abused so regularly, and not only abused, disappeared. You know what? I, 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 500,000 children disappear in the United States every year. I, I often I, wonder. Uh, no, Robert, you know, you know, it's funny. I often wonder, you know, given the climate of how like, society has changed almost like, almost like in a whim of like a decade or so, uh, you know, look, look what's going on now with the way that this country would never thought it would go communist the way it's like looking like it's going communist, right? I often wonder how many of our, our elective leaders are not part of the, uh, the group of kids that are taken and indoctrinated and mind manipulated to become this in the future. And uh, some of the uh, people that are you know in Congress now that are young have not gone through this process and they don't even know it, and that's why they think the way they do. Uh, it's always, you know, something that's been in the back of my mind. And funny enough, we're entering right now the uh, the next uh, couple of days possible disclosure on some of the things that they know uh, about aliens and UFOs. But before we go any further, Robert, stay right there. I'm going to bring in uh, uh, Daryl from Global Enlightenment Radio Network, uh, who's uh, waiting. He wants to ask you a couple of things also, and he wanted to join in. As soon as you yeah. heard Duran, he was like, I got to be on. Robert's you know, my, my guy. Right. <laughs> Daryl's one of my favorite people. We've done a lot of work on radio together. It's I think he's uh, on with us. Daryl, you, uh, you should be on the air uh, with uh, Robert Morningstar and myself here on Inside the Jackal's Head. I know you wanted to ask uh, Robert a question or two or join in. We're, we're talking about the Kenneth Arnold UFO uh, sighting that you coined the term flying saucers or flying saucer. And, uh, you know, the outcome of that 
what the world would have been if that event never happened. Uh, the way society is being shaped, I just mentioned that I have always had this thing in the back of my mind that the way some of the people act today is directly responsible possibly for maybe abductions they don't know about and they've been programmed somehow. I mean, we know programming, Robert, happens on TV and radio and all these other mediums all the time, movies and whatnot, but, you know, some of the more extremists you think is possible, right? Yes, but uh, Daryl has to unmute his microphone. That's why we're you'll figure you'll figure it you'll figure it out. He's he's kind of a professional, I think. I hope anyway. <laughs> yeah. Hey yo, we all got to be laughing over here. I'm rolling, <laughs> Robert. I have a major question for you. Now the guy started out. He's a salesman. He he reported he saw the the ship flying. He wanted to know if it was a U.S. aircraft test flight. My question is, if that man had not looked up. As you used to say a long time ago, why does everybody look down? Why can't you look <laughs> up? If well, that actually, not look up and see that one thing, one time, right now we would be lost. But Well, he didn't look up. He looked out. He was flying at about <laughs> 6,500 feet on a perfectly clear day. When not a lot of people flew, you know, aviation, you know, it was that's growing. true, yeah, yeah. But he he had a he was a businessman. He had his own single engine plane, and he was uh, flying, I think, between Seattle and uh, Chantalis, uh, and he just happened to look up and see these glinting objects moving at incredible speed, and he had the presence of mind to as a, as a pilot you know you often have to cal calculate your your airspeed and your ground speed which are not right. necessarily the same thing you know if you're flying you know 120 miles an hour into uh, 30 uh, 30 mile an hour wind you're really actually doing a ground track of 90 uh, 90 miles an hour so you learn how to calculate uh, speed and distance so he knew the distance between mount rainier and mount adams and he calculated, he had a stopwatch, he calculated how many seconds it took for them to cross between the two mountain peaks. And it was mind-boggling, uh, about 1,500 miles an hour in 1947. And let me think about it. Yeah, 1947, when Kenneth Arnold um, had this sighting of seeing these nine, uh, nine ships moving at 1,500 mm -hmm. miles an hour, we had not broken the, the speed barrier. The, right. The, uh, yeah. sound, the sound barrier. The sound barrier sure. was broken on October 14th of 1947 by mm -hmm. Chuck Yeager in the Bell X-1. So this was phenomenal. And he made the report because he was connected through the Civil Air Patrol to officialdom. Let's just call it that. You know, the Civil Air Patrol is the auxiliary of the United States Air Force in those days the U.S. Army Air Force. And right. so that's what made it significant. He was a very credible person. But other people had been seeing UFOs. As I said, re UFOs were reported over o Oak Ridge, um, Tennessee Valley Authority over there in Tennessee, yeah. uh, the Manhattan Project. So the UFOs were monitoring uh, the development of atomic energy and the atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. uh, Throughout the 40s. They, oh, they I, I think 
Remember, more people saw probably UFOs then than they do now. And one major reason, and I'm going to kind of answer the, the question in a comical yeah. way, but uh, mm-hmm. they didn't have Pokemon or uh, smartphones or any of the stuff we have now that keeps ours looking down when we're even walking in sidewalk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, me I see people that bump into each other just because they're all looking for the same Pokemon. I'm like, oh, dude, look <laughs> yeah. straight ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen to this. The people didn't even have a vocabulary. Right. They didn't have a word for what they were seeing. This is also what made it difficult. So what um, Arnold did is he provided jargon, he provided a vocabulary. Right, for the language. Citing strange things that were being seen in the sky. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you this. In 1956, I was eight years old, and my father, my family, and I were watching CBS News uh, in the evening, you know, the Walter Cronkite uh, report. And all of a sudden, they, they did a story about a DC-6 airliner uh, flying over the south. I believe it's a famous case over Alabama, an airliner, American airline. And they were paced by UFOs. So the UFOs came alongside the airliner on two sides, right side and left side of the cockpit, and they flew along with it. So what CBS did is they, they uh, did a cut and paste image of an airliner, a photograph of an airliner, and they pasted in two UFOs and they started flashing, you know, using uh, a flashing, a flashlight on the, on the picture. They, they did <laughs> photo facsimile. My father jumped out of the chair. He said, Robert, I saw that. I saw that in 1947. I was in the Merchant Marines. I was crossing the Caribbean and I was on watch. I was in the crow's nest and I saw this really brilliant light way far ahead, but it wasn't on the water and it was coming toward us. So I climbed down from the crow's nest, went to the pilot, that's the guy who's steering the ship, and and said, listen, do you see that? He said, yeah, go tell the captain. And he said, the captain was asleep. This is in the middle of the night. And so he went down, woke up the captain. He told me, the captain was a Jamaican man. And he talked with an accent. He said, Amon, what do you wake me up for? And he says, Captain, Captain, we have this light. you got to come and see it. And he, Captain Groggy woke up, and he was a, a bit pissed off that they had interrupted his sleep for a light. So he gets up to, to, the, uh, to the bridge, and he looks out, and he goes, What? Hey, man, what, man? Hey, man? What is that? What is that, man? And he, they say that this light came across and passed the ship about... 100 feet or 200 feet off and 60 feet above the water, my father said, we'd been sailing on a smooth sea. It was almost like glass. There were no waves. But when that thing went by, we were rocked by waves that came from the side and, and uh, made the, the, uh, the uh, ship roll. And he said to me, look, Robert. He put out his arms and he said, look, look at my arm. And his hairs, the hairs on his arms were standing up on end. He was oh, so wow. excited. Look, look what it's doing to me. It, that's what happened to me when that thing passed me in 1947. And he said, I didn't even have a word to describe what I was seeing. And that, and he pointed to the TV, he said, that is what I saw. So that's what we're talking about. It was right, something that yeah. was so out of the ordinary uh, in, in human experience that uh, there were no words for it. 
So cannons right. are no flying, flying saucers. Which, again, uh, it's... Without that, I don't think the popularity also would have taken off as far as uh, the public, you know, being a, aware of terms, language, helps also. I mean, the, the, the really the, the surge of the people seeing these things skyrocketed. Even after that, I mean, the 50s, the 60s, there was a lot that uh, that not only people were seeing in the skies, but we were, we were talking about movies, TVs. I've been watching the first uh, season uh, again of the show Invaders. Remember that show? Yes. And uh, great series, uh, and now in Technicolor, which is how I love when they had said in the beginning. Uh, but, I mean, the actual popularity, uh, I think, skyrocketed because of that term also within the mainstream and now we have a public that went from, uh, they were afraid, uh, you know, with the War of the Worlds broadcast, to a public that now I think is fully embracing the idea of flying saucers and UFOs. And, you know, we all kind of want to see them actually in our reality, just walking around at this point. Yes, well, we are at the end of a 50-year program to... Embargo. Uh, well, there was the embargo, but... In 1966, I was watching uh, Frank Edwards, who wrote Flying yeah. Saucer Series Business on TV, and he said that he had been informed by the CIA, or that, by a contact in the CIA, that the CIA mm -hmm. had a seven-stage program of seven stages of seven years where humanity and American public was going to be acclimatized to the idea that we were being visited. And every seven years, there would be a change. Yeah. Now, he's talking in 1966, and he said, now, for the last 10 years, everything you've seen about uh, flying saucers has been monsters from outer space. But in mm -hmm. the next seven years, you're going to start to see a different kind of movie, which depicts them in a different light. And seven years from then, you're going to see a totally new kind of film, film like you've never seen before, that is going to... Uh, portray them more accurately and actually start to educate the American public on the real nature of flying saucers and the beings that that pilot them. Okay, was, well, that, that would be like uh, Star Wars. Oh, he was okay. talking about Star Wars. He, oh, okay. 66. So seven years from oh, 66 cool. got to 74. And what did we have in the interim? We had Robinson Crusoe yeah. on Mars. Yeah. Remember that movie? Robinson Crusoe on Mars, which tells a story of aliens that have a slave human race that right. is mining the planet Mars. And basically, that was the first introduction into the public psyche of the story of the Anunnaki. The mm. Anunnaki developed human beings as slaves to mine gold. So little by little, they lifted the veil and then uh, 1977, we got uh, Star Wars and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right. And that, that those those two in combination really opened up the floodgates. Yeah, you know, I I, I could see definitely Star Wars being a big influence and uh, being big uh, a big part of opening up that floodgate, especially mm -hmm. when you give uh, like you know now we're all obsessed with going to Mars, right? And we're saying, mm -hmm. well, eventually we're gonna have to we're gonna have to terraform Mars. 
And when you look at Star Wars, for example, what is Tatooine if not Mars terraformed, you know, many years later? And mm -hmm. the role of Luke Skywalker, for example, and his family are the moisture farmers, so there could be moisture and oxygen on the planet. And, mm -hmm. and, and essentially, that's like the blueprint of what we have to do on Mars is build an atmosphere so we can live on Mars on the surface without, you know, protection. Uh, and mm -hmm. that won't be anytime soon, obviously, but it's it's almost like giving the blueprint for a future that we might actually one day have on on Mars itself. Uh, so I could see that. I would, I would also say E.T. would come in, yeah. uh, in the frame as well. That was only a few years later, right? Yeah, that that was about two or three years later. That was also to right. uh, to uh, placate the public and take away a lot of fear because you know yeah. it is a fearful thing what they've been doing, you know, manipulating uh, human, not just the human genome but changing human nature. Another film that really bears uh, credit. You really have to. It's it's almost never mentioned, but it's a very important film. It's David Bowie's The Man Who Fell to Earth. Oh, yeah, that's that a great movie, film. That oh, movie man, tells heck yeah. the story of why the aliens are here. If you yeah. recall the story, the man who fell to Earth is an alien who comes to Earth because he has to plan a way of saving his race on this dying, dehydrated desert planet. And mm -hmm. he wants to save his wife and child and the remnant of his alien race and he is an alien, quite an alien-looking creature, so he has to disguise himself. He has to wear contact lenses to make his eyes look human. He's very frail. He's very pale. It's, it's kind of like a, a retelling of the Tall Whites, you know, a legend. Right. As we're now learning. With a little bit of uh, Superman's background, but without the superpowers, kind of. Except his brain. Remember that his mind right. is so vast that he has to, he can watch... 50 televisions at the same time that he's got stacked <laughs> right. up. He's I wish I could do that. <laughs> well, we're, we can do three, I guess. But, uh, you know, he, it depicted his, his genius. But the other part was he came to Earth with all of this technology. And mm -hmm. the way he was going to finance the rescue was that he started patenting electronic inventions and devices, becomes a super genius or becomes a super uh, industrialist genius, and then starts to accrue tremendous amounts of money in order to build the rescue ship so that he can bring his family here to Earth. But the deep state comes, goes out to stop him. The deep state right. wants the technology without the aliens, and so ultimately uh, he, he has to die. But there is a very fascinating scene where he reveals himself to his girlfriend. You know, he has a girlfriend, he marries her, they live together, but he's never shown her his real form. He goes into the bathroom and he removes, he removes the contact lenses and he removes the fake hair and he goes out naked and presents his real form to her and she just goes hysterical. <laughs> that beautiful girl, the beautiful girl who was in uh, American Graffiti, I forgot her name. Oh, wow. Yeah. She didn't do many films. Uh, that's did like no. what, only a handful. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, the shock that she depicts yeah. the shock. Oh, and this is what they were trying to um, dampen down the shock mm -hmm. to human beings, the shock to the mind and psyche. 
at the idea that these beings exist, but also their appearance. They're not, I mean, they're not beautiful in the way right. that we think. Although we hear a lot of stories, you know, about the Space Brothers and all that, the alien has an incredible power of mind to take over your perceptions. They can superimpose a hallucination. That's why people talk of them as shapeshifters. Mm. You know, they'll catch them in one form, and then when the alien confronts you, they know you're going to be terrified, so they can transmogrify your perception of them by taking over aspects of your optic lobe. I had well, such I mean, an that, experience. that wouldn't be all aliens, though. I mean, Robert, that would be... Uh, no, not all of them. Not all yeah, of them. I, you know, it's funny because I was getting into a discussion you know, about this with somebody, not to cut you off and, and segue, but uh, you know, there's going to be a, a factor of aliens which we're going to uh, become aware of that might even look just like us. And how scary yes. would that be, do you think? No, I, I know of them. They, you know, you know, people want to call them the Pleiadians. Right. Or the Venusians. You know, I, I like to say to people, whatever happened to the Venusians in the 1950s when they talked about these beings yeah. uh, visiting Earth, it was given, you know, according to Einstein's lie, that uh, <laughs> impossible for anybody from another star to come here. It's impossible to cross and traverse space-time, you know, in rockets. So that was part of the, of the debunking uh, strategy and the cover story. But we know that now they're interdimensional and transdimensional, and that there is time travel. But um, well, I mean, even days, that they, they always you said, on, you know, but... these are either the Martians or the Venusians, and, and the aliens themselves would try to make human beings believe that they came from either Mars or Venus. But all of a right. sudden, in the nineteen late nineteen sixties and seventies, the Venusians disappeared. No more talk about the Venusians. You can talk about yeah. Martians to turn blue, but you can't talk about the Venusians. That's now, very true. I have, suspicion, I have a suspicion that Venus is, is an important element in all of this. Yeah, okay. I've been saying that also. Yeah, for a long time. Okay. But you know, it's funny because when we when we think about technology, you know, we we think about Earth-based technology, but we're talking about space aliens, folks. Uh, that's one thing that I've never agreed with science because they they always say. Well, there's no way to get from there to here. It's too far of a distance. Yeah, if you think about it with our technology, but we're talking about aliens who might be a billion years more advanced, where that trip to them might be a day, uh, to us might be a million years. You know, we don't know the technology that somebody in another galaxy might have or another star system might, you know, not that far from us. I mean, it's right. alien for that reason. So uh, that, that's one backward way of thinking that science has always had on this planet. Which is it boggles my mind because these are the smartest people on the earth, and you're supposed to think outside the box when you're that smart, and a lot of them don't, which is real sad. But a uh, lot of them are huge liars. They're that's conformist. true too. Yeah, science has become yeah, yeah, corrupt. Right. I think Daryl has a yeah. A who was that famous person that said that they were from Venus that used to be at the Pentagon? Uh, Valiant Thor is wasn't that the Valiant Thor? Yes, they yeah, said that the Russians contacted the U.S. government. And told yeah. them not to make any deals with the Greys, that they couldn't be trusted, that they betray everyone, and in fact they do. Uh, aliens don't have a sense of loyalty, fair mm. play, uh, honesty, trust. They are out for themselves, and we should not embrace them. As a matter of fact, 
Sounds like a, a, cute, a lot of humans also, though, Robert. I mean, I know a lot of uh, oh, they've sold pieces. out. Yes, humans have been seduced <laughs> by them uh, for power and prestige and riches. And they are traitors to the human race. And two of the biggest traitors, in my, in my estimation, are Robert Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein. Oppenheimer mm. and Einstein wrote a letter for MJ-12 in June of 1947, and it's called Relationships with Celestial Races, or Relationships with Celestrians. That's what they called the aliens, and Celestrians, because they came from the heavens, so from the blues. Right. And they talked about, literally, the problem was how to absorb an alien race or races that have decided to settle here. That's a very interesting, yeah. that's a yeah. very interesting statement. They have decided to settle on Earth and yeah. Earth has yeah. to deal with them. So the, uh, the, the letter is uh, rather long. Uh, the opening part of it is a lot, very juridical. It deals with uh, international law individual nations, individual nation treaties with aliens, how to integrate them in through law, uh, through the United Nations. But ultimately, at the end, it comes down to four recommendations that they give on a strategy of absorbing celestial race or races, plural, that have decided to settle here. They give four recommendations. I'm going to skip the first three because the fourth one is the one that was embraced by MJ-12 and the deep state. The fourth one was that they should give, they should write a treaty with these alien races, give them settlement rights, and I call it ranging rights, and I'll tell you why later, settlement rights that would guarantee the survival of our culture, but which would keep their presence secret from the world public. That became the official policy of the United States government, the, uh, the deep state. And that's why they were such enforcers of silence and non-disclosure, where they terrified people. They even killed people. They killed a lot of people who wouldn't stop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now something has changed because the, the treaty that was signed was apparently for a few years at a time and had to be renewed. And so it kept being renewed until 2008 and 2010 when the Celestrian races had decided, we've had enough of hiding, we want to come out in the public. And if you don't tell the public that we are here, we're going to show ourselves and disgrace you. We're going to show the world, that world governments have been lying to the people for um, 60, 60 years, you know, 61 years. In, in 2008, that was 61 years after mm. Roswell and uh, Kenneth Arnold. So that's when the aliens started demanding uh, rights to come out in the open. And an initiative was formed in the United Nations to try to get the disclosure to come out through the United Nations General yeah. Assembly. I was part of that uh, initiative to try to get that going. Again, it was the United States Navy that was trying to tell the world, world public the truth about the alien presence here. 
And Wasn't that also the uh, the time that uh, Obama openly admitted that Area 51 actually was in an existing base? Because until that point, no, no Sydney president actually had openly admitted that, correct? Yeah, and he almost had a heart attack on television. <laughs> yeah. When, uh, when, who was it? Jimmy Kimmel, was it? Or, or the guy with the big job? No, no. He, 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 said, no, he was, uh, I think it was might have been on on. Him, although he repeated it, but originally it was at a press briefing when they asked him about uh, aliens and, and whatnot, and uh, he openly said in a press uh, release, press briefing, uh, that uh, Area 51 is a real base uh, yeah. that is uh, a you know, U.S. military uh, base that we do a lot of experimental stuff out there, and uh, it, that was the first time it was publicly spoken about, and then well, you I had the Jimmy Camels. I think that was the second time. I think Clinton did it, too. Clinton did it a little more subtly. He didn't really go deeply into it. But I remember Clinton saying that you have to understand that there is something called the uh, permanent government. And he was referring to the bureaucrats. He said presidents get elected and they, they serve and then they move on. But there is a certain aspect of government that is always there. The presidents change, but these bureaucrats stay in power, Correct. and they are—they yep. are the ones that are the impediment to, <laughs> yeah. to things like disclosure. But I remember that Obama—he—he he shrunk in the seat, and uh, people who study body <laughs> language and could tell, you know, that he really got nervous. His voice got stressed, and they—they they said he his heart, his his pulse visible through his neck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really cranked up, and, uh, and as always, you know, they have to do a giggle and a laugh, like, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, there is an Area 51, but I can't talk to you about it, you know, and the reason I can't talk to you about it is uh, I'd probably be killed. Right. <laughs> so it's fun, it's funny how, yeah, it's funny how that giggle and that laugh always uh, is attributed to people on the left when they talk about any uh, serious subjects, right? Uh, yeah, look at Kamala Harris and Joe Biden now. Yeah, yeah, the cacklers. <laughs> the cacklers. Uh, Daryl, you have any questions for Albert? I hear you. Uh, Robert, now we're yes. going back to uh, Mars. Oh, I'm sorry, Venus, right quick. And I was yeah. thinking about the writings of Carl Sagan. Ooh. Do you think he was on the right path when it comes to the existence of life on Venus? In his well, you know, he got on the right path. I feel Carl Sagan was one of the most dishonest scientists that I had. <laughs> I really despised him. I saw him on television. But he was you know, fun he, on TV, you got to admit, though. He was a professional debunker, but maybe he found God. At the end, he, he did come around. And start talking about it, and that's when he got blacklisted and blackballed from NASA. He came around, yeah. but for years and years and years, he was one of the principal debunkers and discreditors of people. And I'll never forget, he was on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, along with Calvin Parker and um, Charles Hickson. You know the Pascagoula, Mississippi yeah. abductee, nineteen seventy four. And James Lovell, the Apollo astronaut, Apollo 13 astronaut. They were on. Lovell came on. He talked about uh, his experiences in space. They brought on Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. 
they told their stories about being abducted right off the dock in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And then Sagan came on and he was so condescending and so arrogant, dismissive and uh, sarcastic. When they started talking about their abductions and then he brought in the uh, Bermuda Triangle and he said the most stupid thing. He said, oh, ships and airplanes are always being lost in the Bermuda Triangle. Why don't we ever lose a railroad a locomotive in the Bermuda Triangle? You know, that's, that's a typical, typical uh, exercise in dislogic and in creating cognitive dissonance in an audience, you know? For, for yeah. the unthinking person, you know, this big scientist saying, oh, why don't we ever lose a locomotive in, in the Bermuda Triangle? And you go, yeah, he's a genius, you know, he knows what he's, ta- <laughs> he know what he's talking about. But you know what I was really proud of? James Lovell. Came to the defense. About him. He yeah. came to the defense of Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, and he told Sagan, "You should be ashamed of yourself for what you've just mm-hmm. done." The first prerequisite of a good scientist is to have an open mind, and right. he lacked. Oh man, I was so proud of James Lovell for doing that. He really mm-hmm. put his arms around these two guys. He knew they were telling the truth. Mm-hmm. He'd seen things in outer space. He'd been up there. I think he was on the Apollo 8 flight. I think it was he who said to NASA, NASA, please be assured that there is a Santa Claus. You know? And San- they yeah. were going around the yeah. moon at Christmas time, and he broadcast yep. to NASA, Santa, be assured that there really is a Santa Claus. And Santa Claus yeah. was a code word that they had in case they ran into UFOs. So right. God bless James Lovell. He was a, a really great man, a great uh, pilot, a, a great uh, astronaut. You know, we have to include Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson as astronauts after their trip. Yeah, that's true. Very interesting yeah. description. You know, 50 years after their abduction, an, um, another witness came out, a Navy man who had seen the UFO over the river, and he saw the UFO depart after they took Hickson, but he was so frightened that he kept it secret for 50 years. So when things chilled out, he came on and said, yeah, I was there that day and I saw the UFO leaving. Very I, wonder how, I wonder how many of our presidents have actually seen UFOs and haven't said anything. Uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think, would be the, the today's equivalent of uh, Carl Sagan. Uh, and he also has been kind of like a very debunkerish of the whole uh, yeah, topic. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. I, I know. I know Tyson. I've met him twice, and um, eh, very conceited little guy. Mm. He's not little. He's really rather <laughs> large, but little in 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 his his mind. I mean, I also I also resent the fact that he made it his crusade to gain fame by by. Uh, by demoting the planet Pluto from planet. Yeah, that never yeah. sat right that with me. Yeah. That was his big ego yeah. trip. Pluto's not a planet. Of course it's a planet. And it also has a moon, Chiron. So just because I think it, it's not in the ecliptic, right? It doesn't stay right in the ecliptic all the time. You want right. to dismiss it as a planet. But again, you know, these are publicity hounds. 
Well, not, not only that, I think that's part of the, uh, some of the misinformation that's put out there because if you do you monetize Pluto from being a planet to put it as a planetoid, right? You, you also don't have to include other objects found near and uh, you know a little further away from you're Pluto absolutely right that are bigger than Pluto that then yeah. you'll be like wait a second we gotta put these objects as planets they're actually bigger yeah. than Pluto so right. that's well, kind listen of, to this. Yeah. I, that's a yeah. smoke screen what we're talking about our smoke screen right and, and that smoke screen I believe was to take the attention off the discovery of other planets that are not in the ecliptic but seem to be more habitable. I'll just say that. One of them right. is called Eris. E-R-I-S. Yes. And yep. I stumbled upon that planetoid uh, with um, Backyard Starry Night, that software that came out many years ago. Really excellent astronomy software. And uh, I, I got good at exploring. All of a sudden, I came upon this thing, Eris, and they had a picture of it. I said, my goodness. You know? How could that be there? It's out there somewhere between the asteroid belt and, um, and Saturn. The other thing that people don't know is that at one time Saturn was a sun. Mm. Saturn was yeah. illuminating. And so the, the uh, 11 moons of Saturn were a planetary system for a while. The right. other intriguing thing about Saturn is that in 1948, when the UFOs really started to crisscross the skies of the earth they found out that there were scout ships and motherships and some of the motherships had parked themselves in equatorial orbits so the u.s government secretly enlisted the major astronomical observatories and major astronomers like uh, donald menzel at harvard to start to monitor with their telescopes to see where these motherships were coming and going to and from. And so in the report that they made to the government in 1949 and 1952, they said that they had been tracking these motherships, the UFO carriers, going towards Saturn, but specifically going to the moon Titan. And then... When we landed Huygens on Titan, we discover that topographically it is the most Earth-like moon in the solar system. It's got continents, it's got oceans of methane, methane rain, it's super cold. And, uh, but this is where they observed the, uh, the carriers, the motherships as they call them, uh, go, coming and going from. So... A lot of intriguing things, and all of these things are in secret documents that have emerged. And we have to—I have to thank Dr. Robert Wood and Ryan Wood for their website, the Majestic Documents, which has everything. I mean, it has the interplanetary phenomenon unit report of the U.S. Army on the Roswell recovery, which mentions President Kennedy when he was congressman. See, President Kennedy mm. was put on a watch list in 1947, just a few days after Roswell crash. President Kennedy was briefed by somebody in the Congress, a, a congressman, who was close to the Secretary of the Air Force. Now, who was the Secretary of the Air Force in 1947? His name was Stuart Symington. And I met the governor of Arizona, Fife Symington, who was governor when the Phoenix Lights happened 
I met him in Washington at the UFO press conference given by Leslie King. Officers, government officials, and pilots speak about UFOs. And I said to him, uh, Governor Symington, are you the son of Stuart Symington? He said, no, he's my uncle. And it turns out that Governor Fife Symington of Arizona was also an Air Force veteran. He'd served in the United States Air Force. And of course, he had to debunk the claim of uh, the reality of the Phoenix Lights. He made a big joke of it by bringing out one of his staff members dressed as an alien. You know, yeah. put on a clown show to make everybody laugh. Well, I told them, you know, I know what you were going through. And though I was really pissed off at you when you did it, I understand it. You had to placate and calm down the public because of hysteria and laughter. Laughter is a very potent weapon against hysteria, against fear. You know, when I have found that when people encounter a critical situation, they psychologically or physically, two things will happen. Either they will freeze and become paralyzed, catatonic in fear, or they'll laugh. And laughter keeps you moving. The laughter, the, the paroxysms of laughter keep your muscles operating and you're able to do something, you know, laugh and run. But when you are paralyzed with fear, all you can do is stand there frozen and in, in action. So I told him that I understood. And then he said, I said, so you saw, you saw the Phoenix uh, UFO? He said, Robert, he said, Robert, you're from New York. You know how wide a Sunday New York Times is, right? And it's big, you know, the New York Times is a very yeah. long paper. Yeah. A wide yeah. paper. And he said, imagine opening up the New York Times and stretching it over your head fully. The UFO over Phoenix was wider than the New York Times held over your head full length in your two arms. The wingtips would have come out. Because actually, I believe that's how he measured it. He put mm -hmm. up his arms like that, like he was holding the New York Times, and he saw that the wings, uh, the wingtips of the UFO... It overlapped it, yeah. ...was wider, yeah. Yeah. Extended beyond it. So, you know, government officials are in tough positions because of the official policy, and... Mm -hmm. you know, death threats are very powerful. So a lot of these, uh, right now, in the middle of this corona pandemic, many, many government leaders, world government leaders, are facing coercion, threats, and menacing. As a matter of fact, the premier of Ontario in Canada said as much. They said, why don't you stand up against uh, these scientists, you know, these, your medical advisors. We know that COVID-19, 99.7% uh, of the people survived. And we have a lot of uh, therapies like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine that are working. Why don't you stand up against them? He said, you expect me to stand up when I've spoken to every governor and the mayors across Canada and none of them will stand up? Do you expect me to stand up and, and contest my medical advisors? He said, I might as well put a rope around my neck and go jump off a bridge. <laughs> yeah, he was revealing it. That. That, yeah, it's death. true, though. But, no, but he, he but, was but, revealing but, in that rhetoric that yeah. he is under threat of death if he goes against 
the tyranny that's unfolding across uh, Canada. Yep. Now, exactly. it, it's not just Canada. I mean, even here in the U.S., I mean, we're seeing more and more of that. You know, for the left as woke and as into the subject of UFOs as they are, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, but remember that doctor a year ago who uh, talked about hydroxychloroquine, the uh, the black Cuban doctor, and what happened as soon as she mentioned it, they started attacking her, saying, well, she sees flying saucers, and she's crazy. And she's yeah. into voodoo and the magic. And, but wait yeah. a second, the, the left is into all that stuff, so why are you demonizing her? Because she's into you know, the same things you guys are talking about. Right. But it's yeah. funny how they use that as a war, while they yeah. weaponize it when they want to use it in a war tactic type of situation, just to shut somebody down. And, uh, right. and Psychological then, warfare. Right, but then they preach it like, "Oh, we're gonna give you all the goods and UFOs." You know that mm -hmm. tells me like that they're not oh. gonna do that. Yeah, it's all lies. That's why I'm here. I'm here tonight to tell you folks, don't believe anything the government tells you about UFOs. Yeah, you know, a psychopathic liar cannot come around to the truth. He go, he comes up to the next psychopathic lie. Right. Listen, folks, this is the same <laughs> yeah. government. This is the same government that to this day will tell you that Lee Harvey Oswald shot the president of the United States and the governor of Texas alone with three shots. One of them missed, and one shot caused 11 wounds. That's what Robert, there was a magic bullet, Robert. You mean there was no magic in that bullet? The magic bullet was the product of a magic pellet of a brain, and that was right. uh, <laughs> the magic pellet brain of uh, Arlen Specter. No, they're still telling you that the Gulf of Tonkin attack was real, which was that got us embroiled more deeply in Vietnam, that the 9-11 attacks were 19 crazy Arabs when everybody knows... We're box cutters. With box New cutters. World Order, <laughs> New World Order Illuminati pre-planned attack for years. And this COVID-19 scam is being exposed. Big news. The highest-ranking intelligence officer ever to defect from Red China has surrendered itself, yeah. not to the CIA, because they can't be trusted, not to the FBI, because they can't be trusted, but to the Defense Intelligence Agency. <laughs> and he has arrived in the United States with terabytes of information. And the truth is coming out. And the Chinese did believe. engineer it. Fauci did pay for it. The French government built the Wuhan laboratories. Fauci gave $7.4 million to Peter Daszak and Echo Health, money laundering it to give it to the Chinese. The Chinese doctor, Dr. Xi Jinwen, who was in charge of the Wuhan laboratories on video, was saying that they had collected 15,000 specimens of corona-infected bats from China and Africa. Videotapes of the bats flying around inside the Wuhan laboratory and landing on the virologists' heads and hats have been released. And Fauci is a criminal. There has to be justice. A Nuremberg II trial has to be uh, conducted, and the guilty must pay. And in Canada and in Australia, the traitors to the Canadian and the Australian people and the New Zealand people, they must be brought to justice as well. They are all in the pocket of the red Chinese. Mm. And that's what we're facing. It's the United States, the American people, against the red Chinese at our northern border and the red Chinese at our southern borders. 
waiting to pounce. Now, you know, I, I know that Fauci goes back before the Obama administration to the Clintons, the Bush. I mean, it goes all the way Carter. back to the... All the way yeah. to Carter. yeah. Right. But here's, here's my question about Fauci. Uh, he also uh, served under Trump's administration. Uh, do you think that Trump was in the loop or do you think he was lied to by Fauci also? Oh, I think he was totally blindsided. I think when they said vaccines to President Trump, he was thinking about the good old days of good vaccines right. and real vaccines. This, this thing that they had been working on for years was on the shelf. They had already begun the production of it. They had already begun uh, marketing the protective equipment, the masks. I mean, this was a this was a windfall for China. The governor yeah, of California, the governor of California, Newsom. He money laundered. No, 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 no. Newsom. Newsom, yes. Mussolini. Yeah. He's got so many names. Mussolini. <laughs> he money laundered $1.5 billion to the Chinese. He bribed them huh? yep. by buying $1.5 million of masks and PPEs that really weren't necessary and don't work. So, you know, the scum of the earth has taken over the United States government and uh, California. I call California Chinafornia, and I call <laughs> the former uh, the former Dominion of Canada, I call it Chinada, because uh, Trudeau openly, three years ago, he said he admired communism very much because of how they were able to turn the Chinese economy around on a dime. And I tell the people here in the United States, and the Canadians in particular, you Canadians elected a prime minister who has elevated himself to Queen of Canada. Mm -hmm. He has established him as a tyrannical monarch, the Queen of Canada, Justine Trudeau. And you, George Washington is one of my heroes. And one of the things he said was, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. And I say to the Canadians, the Australians, the New Zealanders, and the French, and the English, you people better find your feet, because you don't look good to me on your knees. Well, the French has always been on their knees, one way or the other. Yeah, um, either on their knees or on their knees on somebody's neck. And that's yeah. what you see, you know, this uh, Trudeau, he's a product of Oh, Quebec, goodness. You know? And yeah. the Cabotois, you know, they've been communists since De Gaulle. All the trouble, the disunity, the division in Canada began when Charles de Gaulle visited Montreal and gave a, uh, you know, a uh, free Quebec speech, you know, that Quebec yeah. should uh, independently withdraw from Canada. That started it all. And what people don't realize is that Charles de Gaulle was an arch-communist. He actually had a red star tattooed on his palm that very few people that's know true. about. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. He glorified him as a hero of the resistance. But yeah. The resistance was communist, primarily. Yeah. No, in, uh, I, I, I get shivers as being Latino and Cuban every time I hear somebody praise, like Che Guevara also, by the way, Robert. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny with Trudeau, uh, you know, whether you believe that he is related to Fidel Castro or not, you know, whether he's his son or not or whatever... I think he, he very could be. Yeah, I mean, they look a lot alike when they're that age. But whether he's his uh, illegitimate son or not, 
Uh, we do have pictures of him as a baby being held up by Fidel. Uh, so that means he did grow up with that mindset, Robert, with yeah. the communism yeah. ideology yeah. I, from his own parents. You have a picture of Fidel Castro holding jo Justine Trudeau? <laughs> yeah, as, as a baby. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, Castro's legit limit, legitimate son committed suicide. Right, yeah. About four years ago. Yeah. yeah. And they, it was said that he left a note. And in the note, he said he couldn't take it anymore because his father was always disparaging him and telling him, your half-brother has become the prime minister of Canada, and look at you, you've done nothing. And that whole letter, that, that suicide note, was quashed. But I heard it, I read it, and I remember it. But yeah. uh, the oh, cover-up yeah. is, is huge. It's huge. So I mean, it, for people out there that, that think, oh, well, you know, why is all this happening in, uh, you know, certain parts of the world? Well, I mean, this has been seeded for the last 60, 70 years. This is nothing new. And, and even like people like Justin Trudeau, and other communists that have taken over now. These are the seeds of the of the people that were first putting this together, that are now mm -hmm. taking control. And imagine what's you know even yet to come from what the the breeding is of what's happening with the youth and the indoctrination. Uh, it's scary. The next thirty, forty years, if it continues this path. Yeah, a friend of mine is very insightful. You know, we've all been hearing about this purported false flag alien invasion. My friend uh -huh. said to me, you know, what What if this scandemic and, and the vaccine is the actual alien invasion? An alien invasion that's designed not only to alter our minds, but to change our nature. This whole movement of transhumanism is, is uh, very sinister to me. It's actually ridiculous. And I say to people, why would you want to transcend your own humanity mm. when you haven't even completed it or arrived at humanity yet? Why do you want to become a machine? Convenience? The trick, the trick, the fake, uh, the ploy of using convenience to make people conform. The people who, most of the people who volunteered for the vaccine would say to me, when I admonished them, I said, don't take it. It's not a vaccine. It's, you know, genetic modification, engineering technology. And they said, well, they say that we're not going to be allowed to fly if, if we don't get the vaccine and I need to travel. And I said to them, hmm. it's, you need to travel? What about living? you got to be alive to travel. Yeah. Well, what's happening now is they're being betrayed. Now it turns out that airlines are looking askance on allowing people with the vaccine to fly. Airline pilots are dropping. Four pilots died in a week, British Airways. Yep. And American Airlines doesn't have enough people to man its airlines. They're canceling hundreds of flights. All of this is, is being kept secret, except in the alternative news media like you and the radio men and women of America who run new streams like like PSN and Revolution Radio and others, we are getting the truth out. We are the mm -hmm. electronic Paul Revere's of our time because the mass media has been bought out. Sports has been uh, bought out by the Chinese. Oh, I yeah. think one of the most yeah. outrageous things is uh, transgender sports. And I am boycotting oh, my the Olympics. Oh, my, yeah. I am boycotting the Olympics. 
just as I have boycotted baseball, basketball, and football. I haven't watched one single game of any of them for the last year and a half since they started to bend knees to BLM, desecrate oh, yeah. the flag. And this well, I've been, I, I've been doing that for the last three years uh, when it all started with uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, in the NFL. Right. I stopped watching football together, and then other sports eventually uh, started doing the same shenanigans. Now, are they allowing transgenders in the Olympics? Is that, yes. I didn't hear that. Yes. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, they are. There's a biker. Listen, I put out a, a tirade, you know. I, I really I write against it any opportunity I have because it is outrageous. Women, any woman who's listening to us today has to, should be outraged that women have worked for a hundred years and more to establish women's sports, to elevate it to the equality, to equal status with American sports, you know, the American women's soccer team, uh, the tennis stars, the track and field athletes. But there is a difference between women and women with testicles. <laughs> I think it's outrageous. It's outrageous. It's disgusting. And it's part communist strategy to destroy our culture, to destroy our sense of identity, to destroy national cohesion, to turn men against women indirectly and directly. You know, women's rights has been reduced to one, one right. The right to kill your offspring. Yeah. It wasn't enough to have the right to abortion, to kill your offspring before birth. But now they have lobbied yeah. and succeeded in certain states to getting the right to kill your offspring after birth. The That's just murder. murder. That's just murder. That is murder. Yeah. Absolute murder. And women, listen, you are being abused. You are being abused by this, this whole charade and in the name of transsexual rights transsexuals should have no more rights than anybody else and transsexualism should not be imposed on people the u.s army the u.s military has been subverted the u.s army uh -huh. is going to pay for transgender transgender surgery Again, which Trump uh, completely removed from uh, their obligation. Yeah. You know that the first transgender operation was a U.S. Army soldier who decided in the 1950s he wanted to be a woman. And he went to Sweden to have his willy removed. Uh. And yeah, his name was Christine Jorgensen. That's not the movie they made with uh, Eddie Redvane, is it? Because I know that there was a movie made about that, uh, uh, where he becomes well, a woman. Well, if, if it was about the first one, it was about Christine Jorgensen, and that was uh, that was an incredible thing that happened in the 1950s. That Swedish surgeons removed his penis and removed his testicles and turned a man into uh, a woman. Oh, of a Jesus. Yeah. Uh -huh. So anyway. This is all part of the alien agenda. In 1999, well, you know, we before, were you into that, before you go into that, you know, uh, you know, for those people who are like, well, how is this part of the alien agenda? You think about this. Uh, the no, not only that, the population, by making people think that they're, uh, you know, uh, sex that they're not, that lowers the population because you need a man and a woman to create babies, right? So. Right. 
that's one avenue, one puzzle piece on how to depopulate the public by letting them do it themselves without having committed genocide. Well, you depopulate a, an area, a terrain, you make right. more room for aliens. Now, here's another aspect of it. Our friend, I don't know if you knew him, but I published many of his articles on UFO Digest, Tim Beckley. Oh, Tim of Beckley, course. Yes. Tim yeah. Beckley passed away yeah. on Memorial Day. And that yep. was seven weeks after I warned him not to take the vaccine. Mm. Tim Beckley and I were friends for, I would say, 15 years. We supported each other's work. We respected each other. But he wrote to me, please take me off. Take me off your mailing list, your email list. If you're going to be sending this information out, I think you're, you're planting fear and uh, paranoia. I yeah. took the vaccine and I feel fine. <laughs> Seven weeks later, he died of a heart seizure. Yeah. But the last article that he submitted to me for publication is called Screwed by the Aliens. The, ex mm. the extraterrestrials are here and they want to breed with you. You can find that on UFO Spotlight. That's my website. UFO Digest is archived. It's no longer being published, so we have all the old articles, or almost all right. the old articles there. But ufospotlight.org is my current vehicle for keeping the news of UFOs and world news going. It's, it's more than just uh, flying saucers. But Tim Beckley submitted the article, Screwed by the Aliens. Mm -hmm. the, ex the extraterrestrials are here and they want to breed with you. And I believe that this vaccine is intended to change our nature for two reasons one yep. not to make you immune to covid which is innocuous 99.7 percent of the people who get it survive it but to make you immune to something toxic in the aliens and mm. perhaps to change your nature to make you more compatible sexually for crossbreeding with the aliens those are two distinct possibilities. It has been formally announced. Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia has proven that RNA can work backwards and rewrite DNA. They always Correct. think that DNA rewrites DNA, yeah. DNA can rewrite RNA. But Thomas Jefferson University during the last month produced scientific evidence from their research that RNA introduced into the body can rewrite the DNA genome. And yep. I tell everyone, listen, I've studied virology since 1980. I was one of the first people to know what AIDS was, what HIV was. Before it was called AIDS or HIV, it was called Carposi sarcoma. And it started here and in San Francisco. And at that time, I was going out with a doctor. I almost married this uh, a young intern and resident at St. Luke's Hospital. And through her, I was privy to the first information. First, this really weird disease was striking homosexuals. It was called Carposi sarcoma. They didn't know what it was, where it came from. Where lesions, horrible lesions were forming on people's skins. Then over the next two years, they were discovering that they started to call it uh, autoimmune deficiency. And then they found that it was HIV, that uh, the, the virus that was causing it. I've studied that since 1980, and I can tell you the mechanism 
that's being utilized in the mRNA vaccine is exactly the same invasive mechanism utilized by HIV in invading the human body. HIV mm. comes in and introduces an RNA strand into the bloodstream. It attacks the white uh, blood cells, the T cells, and the helper cells, and it disarms the immune system, and it replicates itself by using the retrovirus of an RNA. But how much and is that? RNA uh, reproduces itself, then produces the DNA of the provirus. Right. The mRNA vaccine is doing exactly the same thing to produce the spike glycoprotein. And the spike glycoprotein is the toxic element. It is the toxic element in the, the COVID-19. COVID-19 mm. is innocuous. It yeah. is being used as a vehicle to introduce the spike glycoprotein into you. And that's what's that, happening. That's what's happening. Yeah, but, but how much of that is to make people sick now or for those that are younger to get their themselves ready for when they have kids? And this is going to be something their kids are going to be affected with more than even us right now. They're not going to have kids. No. It's a sterilization pro process. And it's also a death. Remember, I... I was on your show. Or a mutation process also, I Robert. To, yeah. I yeah. had to invent a word. I had to invent a word for what is being done. The Obamacare bill, and I saw the figures. I said the only way that the Obamacare bill can work is to triple tax the young people. Yeah. And to cull off the senior population. Because the senior <laughs> yeah. population yeah. is the overhead, you know, the greatest expenditure. Right. The medical yeah. treatment of, of senior citizens and the infirm. So the only way to do it would be to triple tax the young and cull off those uh, those populations. And right. so I said they can't do it like euthanasia. The Nazis were just doing it. Report to the hospital and we're going to give you a shot and you can say goodbye to your whole family. They were open about right. it. They yeah. called it euthanasia. Yeah. But here they were a little more delicate and they had to do it over a long-term period. So I said... There are two things. We don't have a, like the flying saucer, they didn't have the vocabulary. We didn't have it either until I invented this vocabulary. One is called slow genocide, and the second one is called population pruning. Population pruning targets a certain segment of the population for elimination. And that's mm -hmm. what happened with seniors and with the people yep. with comorbidities or, yes. the, or the infirm or the disabled. So it's. Yes. Slow genocide, but also slow euthanasia, as they think of it. And at the same right. time, by making it a slow genocide, slow euthanasia, they are filling the coffers of the big pharma by the profit that is made in fake therapies. They're already killing the person slowly, but they are going mm -hmm. to provide fake hope. Where the real hope, ivermectin, MS, uh, MSN, uh, hydroxychloroquine, even chlorine hydroxide, uh, di excuse me, chlorine dioxide. Remember when President Trump said, maybe you can inject some of the... <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. it, listen, it's it really just is right, though. Yeah, chlorine yeah, yeah. dioxide is an effective, efficacious therapy for uh, COVID-19. And it was ridiculed by the media. It breaks up the yeah. blood clots instantaneously. And yeah. Dr. Uh, Kalker, Dr. Kalker in Switzerland, a German doctor, 
he um, he was scrubbed off the internet, but you can still find his his uh, bit shoot on how it works and his electron micrographs showing how instantly injecting chlorine dioxide into the bloodstream breaks up the blood clots that are killing so many people. You know, we have a few I minutes think, left. Maybe we should go I back to forty-seven. I think you just got me deplatformed from uh, YouTube, by the way. With that. Oh, I think so. <laughs> don't play it. Don't put it on there. Uh, yeah, hates the truth. That's the problem. Go, go. Listen, you have you have my permission to edit it. You should, if that's going to happen. <laughs> the people who tuned in tonight are lucky enough to have heard it. Yeah. You know? So, no, I, but look, you can I, also I go on, Why aren't you on Bitshoot? Bitshoot doesn't oh, talk. Yeah, this this is on Bitshoot and Rumble and all the other uh, actual yeah. open platforms and doing censor. No, I mean, I make that as a joke, but we all know that YouTube actually is doing that to anybody who puts the uh, truth out there because, uh, you know, as we know now, social media are all sold out, Robert, and, uh, you know, it's not just YouTube, it's, you know, Twitter, Facebook, I mean, the whole nine yards. It's tough to even uh, look up Parler and be like, well, you know, they just got back online, but they have to, like, you know, bend over backwards to be able to do so. So, who can we trust at this point? Yeah. You can trust Angel Espino, <laughs> Daryl Odin. Yeah, Daryl, you had a question here, Robert? I know you were. Uh, I'm sitting here and I'm just like in amazement because it's like hearing the truth. It feels so good. Um, for Angel, I got a good question. Why is it that you see think that? You know, YouTube and uh, many of the other programs. I'm going to let people know also I got kicked off a of rumble. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Did you really? How did you manage that? Um, I had Dr. Malone and um, Dr. Paul um, Contrell on the show. And they were talking about COVID-19. And it got stripped. What? I have fine rumble and there's never been and I mean controversial stuff in this there has been several people kicked off of Rumble. Um oh. I just took it to the next level of bringing the guy that created the MNRA on that show. And it was it was easy. <laughs> I, I just wanted to see I just wanted to test, you know, everything to see what platforms I could actually broadcast on and get kicked off. It was not it was not a big loss. It was only two shows. Um, <laughs> but anyway, what was your question again? Right, why are they kicking us off, man? Why is this censorship being so directed? I mean, the next thing they're going to do is start killing our streams, man. Well, I mean, that's the next process. But I mean, I think Robert even will agree with this. I mean, this is the way you keep information and a narrative flowing the way you wanted to. Uh, you, you silence the, you know, the opposition. And this is communism, socialism, whatever ism you want to throw at it. But uh, this is uh, unfortunately part of, of the the plan to make you believe what they want you to believe. And if you have anything that goes against the grain, this is what they do. And when you say, well, who are they? Well, look at the people in power. And it's very simple answers. When you look at things like fact checking and all that stuff you see on Twitter and all these other outlets, uh, you know, actually do a little homework on who does the fact checking for these uh, companies. You'll notice a pattern. 
usually they either worked at, worked at, or at one point were associated with CNN, CNNBC, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, uh, all these leftist news outlets. These are the people that are fact checkers. Uh, so, I mean, if you want to control the narrative and you're saying the mass media is already in part of the plan, uh, the fact checkers are going to be people that are part of the system that, that has the narrative going. So, I mean, why are they doing it to us? Because they they want their narrative. They don't want the truth. They want whatever sells for them. And it's all about making money and, make, and having power. I mean, look, look at the uh, stuff we're talking about. Medicines that are cheap over the counter, like hydroxychloroquine, can fight COVID. Yeah. I know that. I have lupus. But they don't allow you to, to tell you those kind of things. They, why? Because Big Pharma has money invested in Johnson and Johnson, Moderna, and all these big corporations. And that's what they want. They want you to look at the kill shot. They want to make a, a you know billions of dollars, depopulate the public. Kill off the old population, out with the old, in with the new. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next, whether it's like Robert said, that, you know, they just start dropping like flies, or they start mutating the next generation. And we have a generation even worse than we have now indoctrinated into these lies. Robert, I mean, what, what do you yeah. think about all that? Yeah, I. I think that this, this is the essence of transhumanism is to make us yeah. more alien. We were warned in 1999, you know, the, the leader of the Falun Gong meditation group in China. Oh, had to yeah, flee China. yeah. He had to flee in 1999. And he was interviewed by Time magazine. And I recommend people find his, his interview. Li Hongzhou, L-I-H-O-N-G-J-R, Li Hongzhou. Uh, 1999 Time magazine interview. They interview him about the politics of it, and then, at length, and then, as if they wanted to discredit him, they asked him why there's so much chaos on the earth right now, and he very frankly said, there's an alien presence here on the earth, it's been here for over 100 years, and it's been trying to change human nature, and it's using right. high-tech electronic devices that are changing human people, humans' minds. They are occupying. They are invite, invading people's minds and emotions through these electronic devices. And people, you know, it sounded crazy in 1999, but mm. I'm telling you, everything he said was true, and you pointed out to it. You saw two people crash into each other chasing Pokemon. Yes, I saw yes. 60 Chinese, mostly Chinese people, crawling over rocks in, in Central Park, and their movements didn't look human to me. They looked like a bunch of insects running over these rocks with iPhones in their hands. Mm -hmm. And I was walking with a lawyer friend of mine, and I said, listen, I'm going to stop this guy. I want to ask him something. So I stopped this one Chinese guy. I said, hey, hey, I want to talk to you. And he, he looked up, and his eyes were glazed as if he was drugged. And it took him a few seconds to take his mind back from the iPhone to present time, consciousness, and awareness of me as another human being. And I said, hey, listen, are you chasing Pokemon? He said, yes, yes. And I said, can I see what, can I see what you're chasing? And he showed me a picture of a little, little yellow bunny. And I said, that's it? And I said, listen, when you capture the Pokemon, does he disappear from all the other people's screens? He said, no, they all have a Pokemon to hunt. And I said, okay, thank you very much. And I walked down and I said to myself and to my friend, my, my lawyer friend, I said, you know, there's got to be something 
some ulterior motive for this thing. Um, there's got to be a commercial aspect to it. I don't know how, but we walked down for a few blocks. Then we walked out of Central Park down 72nd Street. I passed an ice cream shop and I looked and there was a wanted poster on the ice cream shop window and it was offering a free ice cream cone reward for the little yellow bunny Pokemon that they guy, these guys were chasing. And then I said to my friend, so look, there's one aspect of it, commercial aspect, but here's the other one. This is a field test for a surveillance device, a snitch program. Right there, they have the Pokemon, but at any moment, they could substitute your picture or my picture for that Pokemon and have 100,000 people running around with their iPhones <laughs> looking for us yeah. to collect the reward. You see? Big brother. The other part is changing our nature. Let me go back to 1947 and the Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit report. The Roswell crash occurred. They recovered an alien spacecraft. They recovered alien bodies. They had MPs guarding it. They had uh, medical professional doctors autopsying the bodies. Three doctors died from contamination, exposure to the aliens, something, a virus. Three MPs lost their minds, had nervous breakdowns. Mm. One MP committed suicide. That's 1947. Uh, Think about that. That now, sounds like uh, that, a phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that, the interesting thing about that, though, uh, is... If we introduce a vaccine now, and all of a sudden we're also talking about disclosure and more and more alien talk, this vaccine, like you, like you said, Robert, yeah, it makes sense. This could be a way to get us uh, to be able to be near these aliens without getting some yes. kind of virus from them and getting sick and all dying. So let's it, talk it, about it, the nanoparticles. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the hive mind. The hive mind is the thing. The aliens operate That's on a hive yeah. mind. They all think exactly like they're telepathic. Like a Borg have... also, right? Like the Borg. Yeah. Kind of. yeah, so the Borg is the object here. But the right. nanoparticles, you know, there are good people in government. And I have to uh, tip my hat and salute whoever it was in the Connecticut state government who released a PDF listing what is the what are the ingredients in the Moderna mRNA vaccine or injection, not vaccine. Right. And among the yeah, things that are in it is a toxin right. called SM102, which yeah. is forbidden for use on human beings or animals. But it's also got something called luciferase, as in Lucifer, luciferase. It's an ionizing enzyme, and it's being used to introduce nanoparticles into, into human beings. So the replication of the spike glycoprotein is also reproducing nanoparticles which are making people magnetic and these nanoparticles will interact with 5g i was very dubious and skeptical of the whole idea at first i find found it hard to believe but now it is pretty clear that they are out to control your thinking and your emotions with uh, transmissions of thought forms that will invade your body and your emotions Another thing about mind control, we all know about MKUltra. A lot of mind control in the past was neurolinguistic, meaning the twisting of words, the, the confabulation of, of false science and uh, fake facts, right? Right. But now, 
I've been informed by a certain person in, in the intelligence community that the Chinese have developed a new form of mind control, which is emotionally driven wow. through TikTok, TikTok and uh, WhatsApp yeah. and a lot of these Chinese apps. They have started to produce videos which are designed to outrage the viewer, to just mm -hmm. rip your emotions apart. Uh, fake, fake videos, perhaps of uh, policemen killing black people, uh, videos, staged videos of people attacking each other, uh, real videos of black people attacking Asians in order to create more fear and more anxiety and more paranoia and more hostility. So these are being used to create emotional triggers to incite civil violence, civil unrest, and civil war amongst us. So exposing yourself to these videos is toxic, and I warn you about it. I um, agree. It, it is toxic, but you know what, what the other coin of that is? They keep you know, using the Asian attacks, and uh, they... They're still trying, Robert, and they're trying hard in Congress and a lot of these, uh, you know, places like CNN. They're still trying to attach that to white supremacy uh, when the actual numbers don't dictate, the, you know, they don't even come close to any of the attacks currently on any Asian uh, populated uh, Americans. Uh, yeah, the only, done by white the supremacy. White, There's no connection. The only white attack, the only white attack on Asians that I know of was the the attack of a man who shot up a, a prostitution ring. He shot pro, uh, oriental prostitutes and the Chinese uh -huh. pimps. One in L.A. Only, every other yeah. one, every other one has been a black on Asian attack, and usually blacks <laughs> yeah. on Asian women attacks. And that's been going on for a couple of years. And it's because the Chinese yeah. want to portray themselves as the victims of white racism. The worst racism in the United States today is black racism against the white. And they're trying to create this, uh, they're trying to create a racial war. I've said for the last few years that the communists have been using the black people, black, my fellow African Americans, as uh, uh, stage props, yep. useful idiots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that they're going to sacrifice. They are willing to use them to foment these insurrections. That's the real insurrections, you know, the rioting, yeah. the looting, the murdering, and then to turn society against them and sacrifice them. There is no oh, way yeah, that 13% yeah. of the population, which is the black population of the United States, there's no way that 13% of the population is going to overcome the other 87%. They no, were able to do this in yeah. South Africa. This yep. is the same tactic that was used to bring down a first world nation, South Africa, yep. by, by these same techniques, communist techniques. The ANC and Nelson Mandela were communists and remain so. Yeah, but, but you know, Robert, they're eighty-seven percent. They're eighty-seven percent. Oh no, but it's not you know the thirteen percent. It's not all the black population. I think what they're really targeting is uh, black population. And they have mental illnesses because even the attacks on the Asian we're seeing from black folks attacking Asians, usually the attacker is suffering from some sort of mental illness. Exactly. And we've exactly seen that over so. and over again. Yeah. Uh, in fact, even, uh, 
First, right. they create well, the mental illness, and then they exploit the mental illness to right. make the, the person exactly. like a Manchurian candidate. Right. David and not Asian, they did it to Rick Moranis, the actor, where he was just walking in New York and somebody just sucker punched him, almost killed him a few months ago. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, you have to yeah. watch yourself on all, at all angles. So. Uh, they are exaggerating it a lot, you know. This is what I say, one incident will happen, right? And then the media will play it a thousand times, and then people will think it's a thousand incidents. Like uh, police shooting yeah. black people, right? Last year, people were asked, how many, how many people do you think are policemen, how many black people do you think policemen are shooting each year? There's thousands, thousands. It was 18 people. But yeah. because CNN and MSNBC will get one tragic police shooting of a criminal and play it a thousand times a day, for a month, a false impression is being impressed on right. the dollar. And so, and this is another aspect of that emotional triggering that the Chinese have devised. It's nonverbal. So yeah. I avoid it now. I see, you know, and the, the sensationalist headlines, you know, gun camera video of policemen <laughs> shooting pedophile, gun camera uh, video released in Chicago, a police shooting uh, African-American. And so I uh, I avoid it now. I say to myself, why do I want to see that? Why would you, know, you want to see that? The one that still gets me, though, is uh, this kid, Kyle, uh, who uh, shot an actual white pedophile. Uh, yes, that's the one was, talking about. Yeah, who was coming at him and uh, attacking him to kill him. So he, shoot, yeah. so he shoots in self-defense. The dude he shoots is not even a black guy. Uh, it's another white guy with a history of criminal activity, including pedophilia, armed mm -hmm. robbery, all kinds of... I mean, this guy's not a good dude who got shot and right, killed. I mean, right. I yeah, I mean we're, not, we're, not talking, yeah. we're not talking about a saint, okay? He was mm -hmm. going at Kyle to kill him. Uh, luckily for Kyle, he shot, and, and he hit him, and he saved himself. But the, the funny thing is, nobody that he shot was black, but yet Kyle is being labeled a white supremacist, a neo-Nazi who was trying to kill black people, like... What? Wait a second! Like, how does that make any sense? That's the communist mantra. Uh, but I'd like to side uh, sidetrack from all of this <coughs> for a moment and just yeah. relate to you that I had a very pleasant experience in 1991. I went to a wedding in Seattle, and I I hired an airplane. I rented an airplane and uh, uh, a mountain guide. And I had the privilege of flying up there to Mount Rainier and Mount Adams and seeing from my, with my own eyes, uh, following the track that Kenneth Arnold flew. And then I had a really lucky break. I had a second experience coming home on the same trip. The airliner that I was on flew past Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. And I happened to have my camera with me. I was shooting a, a daily video diary. Rather than writing my experiences, I just started videotaping my life. And just by circumstances, you know, good fortune. You know, airliners and the windows have a double double plate of glass or yeah. plexiglass. There's an inner yep. plate, there's space, and that's to keep the cold out. And just by chance, the sun was at the right angle as we're passing Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. So the sunlight came in through the first piece of glass. It hit the second piece of glass, rebounded and, and bounced back onto the inner side of the, the outer piece of glass, and nine bright lights appeared, like a fleet of UFOs. 
and the movement of the airliner made it look like the nine UFOs that Kenneth Arnold saw. Oh, it's like isn't that a billion dollars of special effects just happened by the grace of God. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to share you share with you that vision of Robert sitting in this airliner coming home to New York, passing Mount Rainier, Mount Adams. Oh, there's the mountain. So I get my camera and I start shooting it. And all of a sudden, I can't believe it because my eyeballs couldn't see it. If I looked out the window, right. I couldn't see it. But I'm looking through the camera and oh my God, there are nine UFOs appearing flying between the two mountains and uh that was a that was a really uh wonderful experience i mean do you I think, also, do you think I, that was I authentic also, though or do you think it could have been like some kind of optical illusion well that's what i'm saying it was my you see i am a reasonable scientist you know i right. could say oh yeah i was shooting ufos that i couldn't see but the camera could see but my rational mind explains it to you two pieces of glass the sunlight comes yeah. in it hits the outside of the inner piece of glass. That reflection bounces to the inside of the outer piece of glass, and the camera was able to catch it. But I, but I couldn't see it. Right. There have been others where I shot a video and I saw a red UFO. Most recently, on the twenty-fourth of May, I went out and I was shooting the moon, and there was a red object under the moon. I couldn't see it, and then my friend thought it was a street lamp, and I said, I don't think so. So I went deep into the park where it was in total darkness. I shot it again, and there was the red object, looking like a big giant planet Mars under the moon. And if it was oh, the moon, wow. why should it look red, you know? So right. cameras definitely can see things that we cannot see. I thought my friend yeah. in California and San Francisco was uh, perhaps losing his mind because he's saying he was having apparitions in his house and uh, projection and... Uh, you know, the Christmas tree was turning into a soldier in fatigues. And I said, man, maybe it's cabin fever. So he set up <laughs> he, he set up a, a surveillance camera in his, in his apartment. And he sends me this video. And in the video, we see this woman walking through his living room, makes a turn into the kitchen. Huge flashes of light go off in the kitchen. And he never saw her. And I said, you didn't see her? He said, I felt something, but I didn't see anything. And then I, and I said to you, there were huge flashes of light in the, in the room when she, the, the, the figure, the human, walked in. And I said, it looks like somebody walked into the kitchen and opened the curtains and let the sunlight in. And I called him and he said, I said, did this happen in daytime? And I said, she said, no, it happened at night. Then I looked at the camera, um, the register and the time. It was 2.30 at night, 2.30 in the morning at night. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah. then another friend of mine who's an engineer for Revolution Radio sent me about six home surveillance videos with a um, motion sensor. And the motion sensor would turn itself on as orbs would start to appear coming out of his kitchen and mm -hmm. orbiting, moving around, surveilling his apartment. One seemed like a ghost that came out of a mirror. And this was a strange one because there was a shape shift in the ectoplasm, let me call it that. And there was a commensurate sound. There was a sound that was like aspiration, like breathing, like, ah, like that. Right. That sound with this figure, this ectoplasm coming out of the mirror. And then there was a really strange one where he's playing the radio and the radio is talking about a murder. 
and it looked like somebody dropped a body wrapped in linen out of the ceiling and just plopped into his living room. Oh my so, God, you gotta show me that video. Yeah, I think that all of this electronic devices, the satellite networks, the 5G, the microwaves, <laughs> the cell phone towers yeah. have, have created an erosion in the interdimensional boundaries, the interdimensional uh, separation between worlds, and it's facilitating the crossover. Interdimensionals well, are an easier time crossing over and going back. There's two things that might be uh, at, at play here, though, Robert. It might be one thing that maybe our vision is just not equipped to look at these uh, spectrums. And also camera, which picks up not only a certain spectrum we might not be able to see, but remember, uh, a, a camera or a video camera is picking up nothing more than frames per second. So really, it's it's a bunch of pictures that is taking every you know every frame to fill up that video. So within that, you also might capture something that the naked eye would just not see. It might be an object flying real fast, or again, oh, might be yes. in a spectrum that our vision can't see. You know? Yeah, I have a friend in in Brooklyn, Anthony, Anthony Caruso. Mm -hmm. He has a camera that takes three thousand six hundred frames per second. Wow. He's always sending me pictures of UFOs flying over over uh, New York Bay from Brooklyn yeah. uh, to yeah. New Jersey. And he captures them. And they're usually in twos, but they, they appear only in two or three frames. Right. And he's got amazing eyes. I have to tell you, this guy has amazing eyes to be able to pick this up. But I was a little bit dubious. So we live in a spiritual world we only yeah. see a very small slice of it that is translated by our senses into quote unquote the material world but the material world is not really material it's here for a moment it disappears for a moment it reappears for a moment and we call that the passage of time that's why yeah. there is decay yeah. things are not constant that is why leaves decay bodies uh, die and uh, yeah. evaporate. We were, it's really an evaporation process, but <laughs> yeah, we yeah, have yeah. a construct. We have a, a mental construct that makes us believe that everything is solid and constant and uniform and persisting in time without change. But everything is changing with every, every 2.5 trillionth of a second. Reality flickers on and off. It's an intermittent I reality. I agree 100%. Uh, I'm going to let Odin here get a question in before I get my last question and we wrap up. Odin, uh, go for it. Okay. Robert, I ain't got no question. I just got to say, just like usual, I just learned to shut the hell up and let the, let the, <laughs> the master. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate that. Listen, God gifted me with a great memory and uh, the gift of the word, you know? And uh, he, he's not—he's not kidding, Robert. I, I wasn't gonna plan to do anything tonight, and then you—you you, know—you popped up, and I was like, "Well, I'm gonna I do the show it. now." <laughs> I felt it. I felt it, uh, Angel. And of course, this is June 24th. Uh, we're migrating into the 25th, and this is yeah. the day where it all began. There was—it's uh, worth—it's historic because a change in consciousness in human nature began 74 years ago. And I think we owe it to Kenneth Arnold to remember him and um, the others. Uh, Captain Davidson, Captain Davidson of the United States Army Air Force, he sacrificed his life. He died August 1st, 
along with his co-pilot, Lieutenant Brown. They crashed in a B-25 that had picked up the radioactive slag from the Maury Island UFO incident, which I briefly touched upon. Six UFOs appeared over Maury Island. One of them seemed to be in trouble, and this boat, piloted by Harold Dahl and his son and Fred Christman, an OSS agent from World War II, went under it and got hit by the slag. It killed the dog, it broke the kid's arm, it, uh, it may have contaminated them, but they picked up some of the slag and they notified the Air Force. The Air Force sent a B-25 bomber, a Mitchell bomber, to pick it up. And Kenneth Arnold was up there too. Kenneth Arnold went from being the first guy to see it to become the first ufologist. So he flew uh, to Seattle and um, interviewed Harold Dahl. Fred Christman picked up the slag. He put it in the B-25 bomber. The bomber took off and a fire broke out and the bomber crashed into the Northwest woods. And I have to hand it to William Burns and UFO Hunters. Yes. I think the greatest episode of UFO Hunters I ever saw was when they found the wreckage of the B-25 and yeah. trekked into the woods and they took a Geiger counter and they found radioactivity around that B-25, which suggests that the slag started a fire in the B-25 and brought it down. But there is another story associated with this, and that is that another pilot flying in the area, passing the B-25, saw a UFO tailing it and making a moving action, harassing it, and that that too may have been, or that may have been the source of the downing of that B-25. Fred Chrisman was involved in the JFK assassination. He was one of the co-conspirators, one of the people who set up B. Harvey Oswald as the mm. patsy. Mm -hmm. And he had a long association with UFOs. And President Kennedy's death warrant was written on November 12, 1963, 10 days before he was assassinated, when he made plans with Nikita Khrushchev to share UFO-related information to enter a joint venture with the Russians to go to the moon on a cooperative voyage and demanded from the CIA and the military a list of all their secret programs because he was afraid that all of these black programs were causing such confusion that it might lead to accidental nuclear war with the Russians. Mm. And when he wrote that memo that was sent to James Jesus Angleton, that is actually what precipitated mm -hmm. his assassination 10 days later. President mm -hmm. Kennedy's name appears in the Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit Report. It's item 10, basically saying we have to watch this guy. And he was a thorn in the side of the United States Air Force throughout his congressional career and his career <laughs> in the Senate and his presidency, demanding that they give him the real information on UFOs, which he was planning to make public to the American people upon his re-election in 1964. So, God rest his soul. Yep. I am his spokesman, and the truth will out. But it's not going to come out tomorrow. No, no. <laughs> it's not going <laughs> to come out from Washington. But it's funny how the, this whole thing is on the uh, anniversary date of Kenneth Arnold. Yes. Well, you, know? you made it happen, Angel, and I'm very grateful. You and Daryl, you made it happen. I wanted to do a... a an anniversary show on yep. this subject, 
and thank you for making it happen. No, you're the man. Thank you. Thank you for being here, and I appreciate your two hours with us. Uh, once again, give uh, the audience here uh, the times and okay. links so get this into you and watch uh, you know your work uh, over the next couple okay. of years. Well, basically, it's going to become more and more important, my friend. Believe it or not. <laughs> on on Sunday, on Sunday at three o'clock Eastern, I'm on Revolution mm-hmm. Radio. Revolution Radio. Very easy. No www. No HTML. Revolution Radio. Studio A on Sundays at 3 o'clock. This week I'm going to have John Ventry, a well-known author on UFOs. He's written a book called The Wuhan Conspiracy. And we're going to talk about demonology and UFOs. And on Monday I have two programs, The Right Stuff radio show, which is named after the movie. It's at 10 o'clock on Studio B. At 11 o'clock I have the Flash Gordon Radio Club and the yes. flashboard hall of heroes and that's also on studio b so a on sunday b on mondays three o'clock on sundays ten o'clock on mondays you can follow me on facebook you can follow me on twitter you can write to me at robert.morningstar at gmail.com and i would appreciate your help with donations if you can swing them if you can help me keep my research going through paypal robert d morningstar and I'm very grateful for you listening and uh, to Angel and to Daryl for the opportunity to address you on such important issues. It's our lives that are at stake. And yeah, Angel yeah. Angel, and Daryl are part of the group that I call the radio men and women of America and the electronic Paul Revere's of our time. So thanks for tuning in. Well, you know, they say, Robert, the men in black are trying to keep us all in the secret. We're the men of the light. We're trying to illuminate yeah, the, the world with reality. Yeah. Dare I say it? <laughs> we're the men in white. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> Robert, you're the man. Thank you so much for uh, once again joining us. I love having you on. And everybody, check out his show Sunday at 3. Don't miss it. Bookmark it. Go to revolution.radio. And uh, Daryl, thank you for joining us tonight and getting your questions in there and being patient. Uh, I know that uh, you had a billion probably things going through your mind. Uh, whenever we have Robert on, you know, it's always fascinating because truth does come out and people need to start paying more and more attention. Like I said, shows like his, like this, you know, that are putting this stuff out there are becoming more and more important as we figure out and we find out and we have people finally, you know, realizing that the mainstream media. It's lying to your visuals 100% of the time. So we are the revolution. We are the ones that are going to bring up this stuff to the public. Don't expect the, the Pentagon to drop some uh, massive information in the next 48 hours saying, oh, yeah, they're, they're here and this is who they are. That's not going to happen, folks. The real disclosure happens through us, the people. So with that said, gentlemen, this is the end of Inside the Jackal's Head for this week. You guys know what to do. We're watching. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Please give us a thumbs up. You know, notifications, all that good stuff on YouTube. Uh, Till next time, I'm going to be back on Sunday night at 10 p.m. And I have a couple other things coming up on the uh, YouTube channel here within the next couple of days that I want everybody to uh, keep an eye on. Uh, special reports and news and things like that. So, Guys, thanks again for being here. Until next time, this is Inside the Jackal's Head. PSN Radio, PSN TV, Global Enlightenment Radio Network, and Revolution Radio. Take care, everybody.